This week on the podcast, we learn about nonprofit storytelling from a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. I am here with Chandra Hayslett, the Director of Communications at the Center for Constitutional Rights. Uh, Chandra, how's it going? It's going great, George. How are you? I am very excited to have you on because I think I, I will go back to the records and, and go on the record as saying that you are a journalist and a Pulitzer Surprise, Pulitzer Prize winner? Definitely Pulitzer Prize. We'll go with Pulitzer Prize <laughs> three times quickly. I'm going to leave that in there so the audience understands how little I understand about journalism. But <laughs> you are our first guest with this esteemed honor. And I, oh. I, you know what? Frankly, I would love for you to to start there. How did how did you do that? <laughs> um, Eleven years of reporting. Um, I grew up in Memphis and started reporting in Tennessee. Moved to New Jersey in 2000, for those who are trying to figure out my age along the way. Um, and it was I was writing for the Star-Ledger in Newark, New Jersey at the time, and it was when former Governor Jim McGreevy came out as a gay American. And the Star-Ledger um, then and now was a morning newspaper, but the staff put out a special edition that day, an afternoon section that had about 20 stories covering just the breaking news, breaking news of the day. And it's a staff Pulitzer for the um, the teamwork and the work that the staff did for, for that day. So I have a, a little plaque in my office and a candy dish, which is an interesting little um, element to go with folks who have Pulitzers. There's a candy dish as part of the prize. <laughs> that makes me so happy. <laughs> it makes me so happy that we can like really reward our best journalism with appropriate uh, glassware. Um, exactly. And my candy dish is empty, by the way, so I'm not even using it. <laughs> well, why would you want to put candy in something so esteemed? Well, this is true. <laughs> Alrighty. So we uh, are also excited because you bring this level of knowledge and experience in the journalism world, which is all about, you know, sort of the reporting and the story to the nonprofit world. Can you tell us a bit how that sort of Chandra moves into the world of the Center for Constitutional Rights? Absolutely. We are a client-driven legal and advocacy and narrative-shifting organization. So um, it's important for us to get our client stories out in the public and not really amplify the Center for Constitutional Rights, but amplify our clients. And we generally follow our lawsuits and do advocacy work based on what's happening on the ground. We're always partnering with social justice um, movements and organizations, so we want to amplify their stories. So the fact that I spent 11 years telling stories in newsrooms and identifying stories and being able to really have a nose for news, it was an easy transition to go from journalism to public relations and then and the nonprofit field because it's all storytelling. It's just now I'm selling stories rather than writing them, but the skill set is so transferable. The skill set is still there. Um, it's working with clients to basically interview them and be able to tell their stories to reporters and explain to reporters and editors why this is important, why their readers would care, why they need to write about it. 
I love that. And can you say a bit more about the differences? Because uh, I'm curious, because it sounds like, mm -hmm. oh, obviously you go from journalism to, you know, telling the stories of constituents. What is the biggest shift there? I think the biggest shift is not necessarily at the Center for Constitutional Rights, but just from going from journalism in general to public relations in general, either nonprofit or agency, it's the spend. Journalism is more truth-telling. It should be. Um, and public relations is where you are highlighting the positive aspects of your client's story. Um, so you may have a client that may have a, let's just say, a criminal background, but in the nonprofit world, that may or may not matter. So you want to highlight all the positive aspects of your client's story and not maybe mention that your client has a criminal background. So a journalist, however, would dig and find that and maybe highlight that. So it's really the spin that makes the difference in the storytelling. Oh, that's uh, that's really it's an interesting nuance as you sort of pick your stories, and I think we all uh, inevitably do that. And like, here are the parts that you need to pay attention to. Exactly. Uh, what is what is the most frustrating thing about being on the other end of the phone when it comes to speaking with the media now? I think it's um, it's reporters are stretched so thinly these days. I mean, when I was a reporter, it was almost 10 years ago, and newsrooms, you know, they had 20 beats, 30 beats, and beats, for those who don't know, are um, like a, a assignments, like there's a general assignment beat, there's a police beat, there's a sports business beat, um, there's a education beat, um, and you had, depending on the beat, two or three reporters per beat. Now, you may have one covering, one reporter covering five beats. So it's really the time element to you're really fighting for the attention for reporters and editors um, because they're so busy. The news cycle has ginned up tremendously, especially just, you know, if you're covering politics, this administration, you're busy chasing, you know, every tweet that Trump puts out or every whatever that happens out of uh, Washington. And you're also, you may also be covering local politics. So it's really, I think the biggest struggle is getting in front of those reporters and editors um, to prove to them that your story is worth their time. Yeah, so let's go further in that direction. There's, you know, there are people in communications and marketing right now at nonprofits listening to this saying, you're making this sound, you know, so easy. You're getting these amazing stories, and obviously you just get it on their desk. What, you know, what are some of your tried and true tactics that you think our audience could take away? Yeah. It's definitely relationship building, and it's it's slow relationship building. Um, rather than just always emailing a reporter or an editor, um, pick up the phone and call them. Don't do it on deadline, um, but my best advice when I was reporting, if I get a call between 10 a.m., 12 p.m. Eastern time, that's like the sweet spot. Um, after that, I'm busy. Um, so call reporters and editors first thing in the morning. Um, invite them. Reporters have to eat. And after work, they love to drink most. So um, invite them to a breakfast meeting. Invite them out for drinks after work. Once you get in front of that reporter or editor and they can put a face with a name, they're more likely to respond to an email. They're more likely to write about what you're pitching. Um, also, if, if you're on the fence about 
if what you're pitching is really a story, don't pitch it. You don't want to waste anyone's time. Um, all someone in public relations and marketing has is their reputation. And the minute you pitch back-to-back non-stories to a reporter or editor, that's what they're going to associate you with. Oh, this person can identify what a story is, and they're wasting my time by sending me these emails or leaving these voicemails about non-stories. So really be sure that what you're pitching is interesting to you. I've been in positions at agencies where I had to tell a client, look, this isn't interesting, but let's go back to the drawing board and dig a little deeper to find what's really going to grab people. Um, it's, it's okay to do that with your clients, um, agency or nonprofit, um, because you want what you're pitching to be the most newsworthy pitch as possible. Um, and then just slow relationship building, tr- really trying to get in front of um, that reporter or editor, get, and get meaning by getting in front, um, you really want to try to meet them face to face. Also, um, I, since I'm a former reporter, I'm a member of some journalist organizations. But there are other people who are in public relations and marketing who attend those meetings. So a good way to network with reporters is to. Uh, Find out what professional organizations are in your city for reporters and see if you can become a member or see if you can guest speak at those organizations or just attend the meetings. I love this thought of uh, getting a press release out there saying, hey, our organization just relaunched our website or our organization just (laughs) rebranded. Talk about us. And you're telling me that's not not going to work? Right. It's not going to work. It's even though... Um, when we rebranded the Center for Constitutional Rights, rebranded last October, and we were really proud of our brand, and our team did write that press release, and we sent it out. It wasn't picked up, but we sent it out because we were proud, and we, yeah. and we were hoping, you know, fingers crossed, maybe it's a slow news day. And But we also sent it to um, philanthropy magazines. Like, we weren't sending that press release to the New York Times because we knew the New York Times didn't care. But we were hoping maybe – a philanthropy, a philanthropy magazine would write about it because they we have gotten uh, press releases picked up about new board members that were kind of shocking. And we were like, oh, okay, they actually picked this up. So sometimes you do get a little unexpected bite. Yeah, I guess the reporter in the back of your head was, you know this won't work, right? Exactly. <laughs> but we can all be optimistic. And yeah. it, it seems like what is working, if I can paraphrase, is finding – the stories in your backyard, your constituents, and in the headline that you imagine, you are not in the headline. You are a sort of byline in there. You're enabling these things. You're on the, you know, not the sidelines. You're in the game, but it's really about the narrative maybe of your stakeholder's journey. Is that fair? That is absolutely fair. When I was reporting, I wouldn't want to talk to the executive director or the CEO of an organization. I would want to talk to the people who are really impacted by the issues they're trying to tackle. So give me the real people, and that's who we're trying to push out at the Center for Constitutional Rights. Now, when it comes to the impact of this, it sounds like we are doing an awful lot of work to end up uh, in these stories Can you tell me how you measure success when it comes to getting placed uh, online? Um, In different ways. So we talk about when we're filing a lawsuit or coming up with an advocacy campaign, we talk about what are the media goals look like. Sometimes the media goals are let's try to get an op-ed and a mainstream newspaper. Sometimes um, most of our our work lands in – progressive mainstream newspapers. So I'm really trying to push my staff for 
um, success to look like let's get in front of some conservative audiences. Um, it is our job as folks in PR and marketing to move the needle and to narrative shift. And sometimes you have to get away from the low-hanging fruit. So it could be anything from let's get into a conservative outlet to um, let's get into we're also trying to reach millennials. So let's get into um, an outlet that millennials are reading or let's let's get into let's get you know on broadcast because we're in print more than broadcast so i think it depends on the issue it depends on if it's legal or advocacy um, but there are lots of ways that success looks like from a media standpoint at the center for constitutional rights hi this is mark Rivna from the nonprofit times you might remember me from such stories as the npt 100 or the best nonprofits to work for if you haven't heard, The Nonprofit Times has its own podcast. It's called Fresh Research. Each month, we talk to the authors of great fresh research about the nonprofit sector. Check it out on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find it at thenonprofittimes.com backslash fresh hyphen research. Or join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag Fresh Research. I'm curious uh, about how you know, the, you know, the era of, of fake news, uh, moving into mm. that, how the era of <clears throat> fake news is actually being countered by the trust that nonprofits bring. And, and to that point, you know, Edelman comes out with this trust barometer every year and consistently, you know, of the four sources, you know, government, press and press, press media, nonprofits and companies, uh, the the general public trusts nonprofits and, and their words more so than any other other vertical. How do you see that? You know, through through your lens and your work, the the role of nonprofits, so to speak, in in media. It's it's a really important role um, because, and generally, I mean, in general, nonprofits are supposed to be um, selfless and they're supposed to be serving the public and doing good. And I think people associate all those characteristics with truth and organizations that are trustworthy. And when you have someone from the White House who has this really big, big platform saying fake news, fake news, fake news every day, um, it's the role of a nonprofit that's in that same space to to be truth tellers. Um, I, I've told my team that we can't react to everything that Trump says because we would get nothing done. And I think that's that's um, what's happening with journalists today because they're just chasing everything he says and does. But we're picking our battles, and when we know that there are false claims, and we know that. Um, the truth is not being pushed out, and it's an issue that we have our hands on. We definitely try to get out in front of it and say, this is the truth, and this is how we're backing it up with facts. Yeah, I mean, I imagine at a place, especially like the Center for Constitutional Rights, um, you've been a, a mite busy uh, over the past, <laughs> I don't know, a uh, couple of years, oh. call it randomly. We have, but it's it's um, surprising that the Center for Constitutional Rights is 52 years old, and I wouldn't say we're any busier today than we were 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, et cetera, um, because unfortunately, our government um, uh, 
dabbles in things that are unconstitutional all the time. So no matter who's been in the office in the last in the White House the last 52 years, we've been equally as busy. Yeah, um, that's sort of the sad, sad truth of affairs. Uh, I want to move toward your experience and, and knowledge around, you know, we've mentioned print and radio and other forms of media and digital, I am incredibly biased toward the digital side. I'd much rather, frankly, end up with a linked uh, piece inside of, you know, New York Times Online or what have you online mm-hmm. publication than uh, simply like something that's print only, you know, like the good old Brooklyn Eagle, as much as I love them, if I was just printed <laughs> in the paper. Uh, yes. Uh, I would take that direction. What is your thinking about the the strategy on the different media platforms? I, like you, am pro-digital. Um, I mean, I see people holding and reading newspapers on the subway. I think um, I saw that once. <laughs> but I know people are getting their news online. They're getting them on their phones. They're getting them on their iPads, on their laptops or desktops. Um, so I am pro-digital. But... It's a beautiful thing to have like a front page story on the New York Times or the Washington Post and it's in the print edition, Um, but definitely pro-digital. And we are trying to um, use digital elements more in our storytelling. We're at the point now where we are hiring a professional freelance photographer and graphic designer to help us tell stories. We also just got on Instagram when we rebranded in October. So having those visual elements and a digital space allows us to tell stories differently. So I think the team here is definitely pro-digital. And it's just where the eyeballs are. Yeah. I mean, you know, just to, you know, the play out the other side, though, uh, does it mean since this shift is happening, is there an opportunity to, to capture value to say on like local radio or those pieces? Are they like desperate for these news or are they just parroting what they have already parsed from, you know, frankly, online sources? I think radio is doing both. It's creating original um, stories and also pulling from other sources. But uh, we are a, an international organization and people, you know, in the Midwest and, and in the South and really all over the uh, America and the world, they drive to work and people listen to radio. So I think radio is still an important element for, for storytelling because people are in their cars listening to the radio. I'm afraid of asking this next question. <laughs> what, what, uh, hey, Chandra, what about podcasts? <laughs> we love podcasts at the Center for Constitutional Rights. Um, we have a podcast. It's called The Activist Files, and it's a monthly podcast that I'm just going to do a little um, oh, <laughs> promoting here. You know what? We're both in the game, Chandra. We're, we're, both, we're both people of action. Lies do not become us. Go on. What does it do? What does it say? Our podcast, The Activist Files, gives a platform for um, activist lawyers and storytellers to amplify their work. We have a saying at the Center for Constitutional Rights that basically says if you have an activist lawyer and storyteller in the room, you can change the world. So our podcast, The Activist Files, gives a platform to those three groups to talk about their work. And their work is obviously connected to ours, but we use this not to highlight our casework and our advocacy work, but to it gives our partners and the space uh, a platform to talk about their work but i mean so we we pitch podcast just like we pitch um print and broadcast reporters 
So in our mind, they're all equal. They're all doing great storytelling. Mm -hmm. And then with your own podcast, how do you measure success there? We are in a number of ways. Um, we, we try not to focus on the number of listeners because right now um, we're a year in April. Um, so we're celebrating a year this month. Um, so our, our numbers are we're getting about on average 600 listeners per podcast. Um, so considering we're new, we haven't done any paid advertising, we're, the editorial team is pleased with those numbers. Um, another way we're measuring is uh, in December, we put together an editorial calendar for 2019. So we built out the year. And that was a win for us to be able to be like, okay, we've got at least 12 episodes and a few bonus. And so far, everything that we've put on paper has happened. Um, so that's success for us. Um, and just also being able to have some podcasts in the can is success. Because uh, when we were first starting, um, we're, we're learning as we're going. Um, no one on the team has ever had a podcast. So we we didn't realize that people were going to cancel on us at the last minute. So it's important for us to have some episodes in the can just in case we get in a bind. So we're measuring success in a number of ways. Yeah, thank you for also sharing transparently about, you know, what you're, what you're doing there. And I think uh, the depth, I think, the depth of – you know, the fact that someone's listening to this right now, we have at least a part of their attention, by the way, yeah. pay attention to where you're walking right now. <laughs> but that's, that's the moment that you have to sort of change hearts and minds and uh, specifically to your work. Uh, you know, it's that, that deeper form of content hearing from people in their own voices just does something different than reading about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree. All righty. I frankly, this is just a selfish podcast where I just am learning as much as possible <laughs> from you in my mind. All right. We're going to talk about teams and how you structure them because you, you mentioned some people on your team and moving toward, you know, the multimedia creation. Mm -hmm. what, what does in 2019, what does a, you know, Chandra perfect PR team look like? Oh, goodness. That's that's easy. So it's my current team, which we're a team of six, including me. So I have um, a second in command um, and she does a lot of media pitching and outreach to journalists. Um, she finalizes op-eds and press releases. Then I have um, another person on the team who actually does first drafts of all of that stuff. I have a digital engagement manager who's my social media guru, web manager, um, and a communications assistant who we just hired. But dream team would be those folks plus an in-house graphic designer, in-house videographer, in-house photographer. That would be the dream team because we're um, outsourcing the last three, the graphic designer, photographer, videographer, but it would be great to have those folks in-house um, to be able to storytell 24-7 with us. Okay. I appreciate you sharing that. And obviously, you have the dream team. Your team will be very happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that was the first take. We didn't even edit that. Team, if you're listening, you are the dream team. You guys are. I love you. <laughs> Alrighty. I... I want to I want to do a quick, a very quick pro versus con on whether or not uh, in this you can take either side press and PR uh, actually leads to impact, and it's yes it does or no it doesn't. And this is a tough one. I, I'm going to take either side. I am going to take the pro side. 
Alrighty, I will carefully take the con side. Would you, uh, and again, it's, you know, the, the idea of having this press and PR department in our nonprofit is leading toward uh, the actual impact. Okay. 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 Would you like to go first or second? Um, why don't you go first? Oh, yikes. <laughs> okay. Here's what I have to say about having a whole PR sort of engine inside the nonprofit. Look, if we're doing our job, if we're making a great impact, I feel like the internet and reporters will just find us, right? We're doing great stuff. They're going to find us. I don't need to fire up this engine. To you. Reporters and editors are super busy. They're not, unless they're looking, which often they're not, stories don't just drop on people's laps. They're not going to find you. They really need someone to put the story in front of them and in some cases to explain why it's important. Um, And also you want the public to know about the good work that nonprofits are doing, which is why you need to be pitching and sharing that good work with press and media. And that also helps generate um, donations because the more people who read about you or hear about your work in a podcast or on the radio – will say, hey, this is an organization that I'm interested in learning more about. They go to your website. They go to your social media channels. Wow, they're doing great work. I think I want to give to this organization. So it's all tied together. A couple summers ago, I saw this really cool thing. People were just dumping ice water on their heads. Why don't, <laughs> why don't we just come up with like a real – we just invest our money in a really cool, slick campaign – and by the way, it's going to be so cool that people, again, it's just going to go viral, Chandra, online. They're going to find us. Well, I actually agree with that. I'm all about guerrilla, mar- <laughs> guerrilla marketing. <laughs> I wish um, nonprofits would be more bold in their approach and do something slick that's going to go viral. That's like my dream campaign is to get people excited about what we're doing and to get people to act um, because nonprofits always want people to act, and action comes in various ways. So if it's dumping water on your your head and then making a donation, because I I think that 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 um, stunt was associated with a nonprofit. So I'm all for that. So sorry, I couldn't take the the opposite side. <laughs> this <laughs> is I'm not all helping for... your pro con side. All right. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I like I, I like where this is you. going. I like where this is going. I might win one of these. All right. I have another. I have another con side. Uh, I okay. feel as though if I'm spending all this time getting into you know the examiner of of such and such, and I, I end up in the paper. Uh, I can't tell how many people really read that or saw my article on page, on the back of page seven. Uh, what I can tell are like, you know, clicks from uh, social media. I can see that, but I, I really can't tell like eyeballs and whether that impacted my organization. So why spend so much time on these like, you know, old school media components? Because you can't tell a true story in 140 characters or whatever the character limit is on Twitter. Um, Instagram, you have more space. But to really tell a moving, impactful, client-driven story, you need, some, you need like 30 inches on the front page of some newspaper. Um, yeah, you can – you know, in social media, you can put a link to a whatever, but – you really want people to spend some time getting to know the clients that you're talking about, the people who you're working 
um, for social change for, and newspapers and either print or digital, um, just do a better job of that. With that. Alrighty. I appreciate your bravery and doing pro con <laughs> with zero. Like literally, I just surprise you with it because I like to see what comes up. <laughs> I like to see what comes up. All right. Uh, is there anything else before we move into rapid fire? Is there any uh, anything else that you want to just say? Hey, uh, if you're listening to this, you should have a press page, or you should do at least this bare minimum bit of work to make sure you're discoverable. I mean, if you're not on social media, I, I hope all nonprofits out there doing great work or on social media because that is what's driving traditional media. I mean, reporters are working for clicks and likes on on their stories. So um, while I have a traditional media background, I, I am pro-social media. So, um, so get on social media, get on all the channels, and you ha- really have to engage with the folks who are following you. Follow reporters, tweet at reporters. Don't be obnoxious about it. Um, if they write about something that you like, share it, tweet it. Um, yeah, I would use social media. People take it take for granted that you that social media is just for news sharing and and following up with friends. But um, you can really start the beginning of a, a relationship with a reporter via social media. And it seemed like you were calling out Twitter in particular. Is that at yeah? Present, I think uh... yeah. Twitter is definitely like the the new source social media outlet. Well, scary but true. I know. I, good, I was going to like, say those are sorry. words that you just said. I know. I know. It's horrible, <laughs> but it's true. Already with that, are you ready for rapid fire? I am. Okay. Please keep your responses concise. What is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year? The I don't know if this is a tech tool or a website, but it's Instagram. Um, we rebranded in October, and we have a really fun, fresh, modern look to the Center for Constitutional Rights. Um, so we're using Instagram um, much more. And we got on Instagram when we rebranded, and we have a shapes library with hearts and hashtags and thought bubbles and stuff that we are uh, using um, in that space and lots of opportunity for video and photography and infographics. What tech issues are you battling with? Um, so we have a new phone system called Ring Central that's really giving everyone agita. Um, so when, we have a lot of meetings at the Center for Constitutional Rights. We're really busy, and so people when people call in to the meetings, we always have to have our IT department come set up the conference calls. So Ring Central, we're battling with that, and we just migrated to Gmail. Um, so folks were really concerned about how that would be different from Microsoft Office and also concerned about possible security issues since we're dealing with a lot of confidential information. We're a legal organization. What is something coming in the next year that has you the most excited? Building up our thought leadership platform. Um, my agency background in public relations is really built on uh, amplifying thought leadership, and I feel like um, nonprofits don't do that enough. So I'm looking forward to actually having the time this year, now that we've rebranded, to to focus on thought leadership, um, and that's everything from um, showing up at conferences and more um, strategic ways to the outlets we pitch, pitch to uh, creating and creating webinars 
producing dope advocacy programming and how we're using social media. Talk about a mistake that you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things today. I think most, um, when you're starting off, you're just not confident in what you're doing. You're probably, you know, at your first job, like, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I, you're always comparing yourself to coworkers. So it's really being confident enough to seek leadership opportunities and ask for what you wanted. And I feel like um, starting off as a journalist, and then when I transitioned into public relations, I had been working 11 years at that point, but I was in a new industry. I just didn't have the confidence that I needed to to ask to be in the room. Um, I felt like I didn't really deserve a seat at the table. Um, but once I realized, okay, I can. It's okay to ask for what you want professionally, and it's okay to to to, to be a leader in your space. Not only am I in the room, but I really try to make space for younger people who are just starting off to join me. I'm currently mentoring four people under 30 who are in the public relations field, and I talk to them about confidence and leadership and um, and and having the the moxie to to face what they're encountering and dealing with on a daily basis. Do you believe that nonprofits can successfully go out of business? I hope so. I mean, our mission at the Center for Constitutional Rights is that we fight for a world without oppression. And when the world does not oppress people um, is when we can go out of business. So I'm, I'm hoping for that day. If I were to put you in the hot tub time machine and go back to the beginning of your work with the Center for Constitutional Rights, uh, what advice would you give yourself? Um, probably when you're implementing a new idea or you're trying to just figure out your way, or I guess when I was trying to figure out my way, to not compare my beginning to someone else's middle because that creates fear. What is something you think you or your organization should stop doing? I'm going to take this question from me. Um, I'm always trying to do too much. I'm very type A. I'm very anal. I'm self-admitting this. Um, and I, I have this this feeling like if I don't do it, it's not going to get done correctly. So I need to learn to say no more often. If you had a Harry Potter-style wand that you could wave across the nonprofit industry, what would it do? I'm going to answer that from a Center for Constitutional Rights perspective. I, my wand would make the justice system work for those who are most marginalized. How did you get started in the social impact space? I've been dabbling in social justice issues for more than 20 years. When I was in college, I was part of organizations that dealt with diversity and inclusion and um, gender, race, and LGBTQI issues. Um, and then when I graduated from college and started my journalism career, I tried to write stories that impacted people, um, stories that people cared about, like equity and education and housing and how politics works for and against people. Uh, so I feel like I've kind of always been in the social justice space. And then when I left journalism, I went to uh, I worked at nonprofits that were in the social justice space. So it's kind of always been in me the last 20 plus years, starting in college. Nice. Uh, what advice would you give college grads looking to enter the social impact sector? I would determine what you're passionate about, find an organization that's working in that space, and then contact the organization to see if they need volunteers.
All right. Final question. How do people find you? How do people help you? So we are the Center for Constitutional Rights. Our website is ccrjustice.org. Um, we are on all of the social media channels, unfortunately, like different names for everyone. Um, so Twitter, we are the CCR. Instagram, we are CCR Justice. Facebook, we are Center for Constitutional Rights. And LinkedIn, Center for Constitutional Rights. Good thing we have show notes. And I feel <laughs> as though if somebody is listening to this and they are interested in checking out a new awesome podcast, The Activist Files seems to be making a, uh, a big meteoric rise. Absolutely. Please, um, we're on SoundCloud and Google Play and iTunes. Listen to us, subscribe to us, and please review us. We like five stars. I'll give you five stars. Thank you Thanks. so much. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, tolerating my, my errant questions, and, and really uh, giving us something useful here. It was so much fun, George. I, I enjoyed every minute. I definitely have to admit that PR is not a strength of mine, so it was fascinating to me hearing the, the inner workings, what the team looks like, how they're approaching journalists, and uh, I want to repeat. I want to repeat that little quick back and forth, right, about uh, fake news and nonprofits' role because nonprofits are a trusted source of information. Uh, and I think that role is only going to grow in importance uh, as, uh, you know, we deal with uh, the, the current climate, we'll call it the current climate of misinformation and I think there's an opportunity. I think there's an opportunity for a lot more nonprofits to be sharing their voices uh, and their stories and doing it with the lens that it is having real impact in national dialogue. But if we remain in our silos, we keep on our sites, we stay in our verticals, we won't necessarily join that dialogue. We won't be able to uh, influence and inform reporters that are that are trying to do their job but as you know Chandra mentioned they're busy they're not just necessarily gonna find you in your great works look for those stories look for those opportunities package them package them in a way that's accessible and you know what hopefully some of the tips that Chandra gave uh, today will will help you enter into the the national dialogue around your topic and good luck uh, we have as always resources available online this is episode number 123 oh i like that one two three uh on our site at wholewhale.com slash podcast special thanks to greg thomas music.org awesome music and resources for you there uh thanks greg you're awesome and also since we uh, made the ask for activist files, do find them. Do make uh, a rating because it's going to help their rank and help grow them. So if you want to make a small amount of impact after the end of this podcast, genuinely, go online, go to iTunes or, or the Play Store, and, and seriously, leave them a review because it will help their rankings and it will help their story be heard a lot more because, frankly, that's how these algorithms work. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us.